Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. Shane Eric Mathias said, True friends may only speak several times a year and visit even less. But when life's challenges leave one of them vulnerable and in need of compassion, time and distance are no obstacles. This is episode 58 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Sharon Glassman. Her very first experience of vulnerability was at the playground, when she fell off the monkey bars and began crying, and another kid came over and laughed at her. It felt so uncomfortable that she ended up making something up, saying she had allergies to avoid the shame. Then years later, when attending a meditation retreat, she found herself trying too hard and not truly experiencing it due to her perfectionism, until she was called out by one of the teachers and began to relax a bit. Surprisingly, she would throw herself into vulnerability career-wise as she chose to become a journalist, despite being an introvert and having a hard time interviewing people. There would be more challenges to face throughout her life, but she's found a way to learn from everything she's faced. Now she's using her passion for art and songwriting to create art pieces that inspire happiness and gratitude through her company, Smile Songs. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Sharon Glassman. Hey, Sharon, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. Uh, You're one of the many people who signed up through the uh, podcastguest.com newsletter. You also reached out to me uh, before that, I believe, on a uh, DM through Instagram. And it's uh, it's been awesome to uh, sort of see you following me and engaging with you. And, and like I said, now having you on here today. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. I was so excited to find out about you. I love your, your take on life and uh, <laughs> the positivity therein, even when things are a little funky doo-dah, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for that. So the first question that I asked to get started is, what is your definition of vulnerability? And I loved that question. I really was thinking about it last night. I'm, a, I'm kind of a nerd. Like I do my homework because <laughs> I do. And my definition, I think, is being open to experiences, sometimes beyond your control. And I started thinking, are, are you a Greek mythology person, fan? Do you like the Greek um, I can't say that I've studied too much of it, but I've heard about it here and there, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Okay, so again, nerd. I started <laughs> thinking about the character of Achilles in Greek mythology, and the story of Achilles is really fascinating. So his mom wants to make him um, invulnerable. And so, you know, being having superpowers, she dips him it's either over the river Styx, which is the river of death, which is all funky, or into this kind of fire. But she, she's holding him by his heel, right? So she's dipping him into the invulnerable forces. But there's one place that she can't cover, and that's the place she's holding him on his heel. And that's where he remains vulnerable. And I thought that's kind of a cool metaphor for love and living and how connection opens us up to all kinds of things. Many of them are pleasant and life-changing, and sometimes they're just super painful, but you'll never feel them if you're totally covered in a protective coating, right? <laughs> you know what? That's, the, I think, the most original definition I've had so far, but uh, I appreciate it because it, it definitely makes sense in terms of, you know, if you're cont- cont- constantly like covered up or behind a mask or whatever way you want to put it, it's much harder for the world to see you and for you to even open up at all, so... Um, and for chance to happen, right? For something that you didn't plan for. Like if you're planning for everything and like Achilles' mom was like, okay, I've got, literally I've got him covered. He'll be fine in the sense that nothing will ever get to him. And he actually turned out to be, again, I went back to look at this a little bit. He, he went on to be a pretty unlikable fellow. He was <laughs> like, you can't get me, nah, nah, nah. And the other gods really didn't like that. And so he has a very unhappy ending. Well, like, I, and I think that again just ties back again with what what we're trying to do here with the podcast and everything in terms of the fact that if you do follow that path of of trying to be, you know, uh, maybe not your full self or authentic self, whatever way you want to put it, or or if you're constantly hiding behind something or behind a mask or whatever it might be, that's probably where your life's going to lead as well as to a pretty unhappy place. I mean, I did that for years. 
and and you know was a pretty miserable human being until I decided to finally start facing some things and opening up a bit. So um, I definitely appreciate everything you had to say there. And is that what led you to do the podcast? I kind of wanted to ask you that. I was really curious. <laughs> sort of, I guess. I mean, what really led to this podcast was um, an article series that I was trying to start by the same name and just realizing that writing, you know, uh, long form articles about people takes a lot of time and effort. And I thought maybe I can switch over to the podcast instead. Um, and yeah, and then because of that, I decided to start sharing my story as well as just because I figured it's hard to ask people to be vulnerable if you're not even willing to do it yourself. Um, and, and there's a lot of other things that sort of happened in my life over the last few years that drove me to really start opening up. Nice. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing is that when tough stuff happens and you realize you're not alone and actually saying that brings people together and can help out other people, I'll, I'll diverge one more time. I'll be your grand diverger. So <laughs> in the uh, 1300s, there's this novelist in Italy named uh, Boccaccio. And interestingly, at that time in Italy, um, there's something going on called the Black Death, which is not very fun. And he invents a world in which people to escape the Black Death go out of town together. There's 10 people and they go to this place in the countryside and the first thing they decide to do to boost their spirits and to distract themselves a little bit and to get through this really tough plague is to uh, tell stories. And so they do for 10 days, they each tell 10 stories and it's called the Decameron and it has amazing resonance right now. It's always been a really powerful uh, inspiration for me personally in different phases of my life, but I think especially right now, and it's kind of what you're doing. It's exactly what you're doing. So. You come from a long and august tradition of <laughs> using stories to heal during tough times. No, for sure. And, and, and I appreciate that again. And I think like that's really the key behind what I'm doing here is, is to have people share their stories so that we can all realize that, yeah, there's going to be pain. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be vulnerability. But the fact of the matter is if we really reflect on it and we really take time to sit with it, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn within that and those lessons are what can lead us to where we want to go um but yeah that's uh my diversions <laughs> oh i like well, we're going to diverge together. i think this is great i think diverging is great and i think you're coming back to this core idea which you're enacting and, and invigorating which is that we're not alone and once you realize that whew, things get a lot better Definitely, without a doubt. So getting on to my next question for you, um, what, what would you say would be your earliest memory? And go back as far as you want. You know, I've had people go back to when they were five and I've had some people start like high school time. Um, but yeah, the, what would you say would be your earliest memory of facing some sort of vulnerability or, or challenging time in your life? Sure. Um, I was thinking that there's two kinds of vulnerability, right? There's the vulnerability you choose, which I think we do when we're a little older and the one that surprises you. And the one, if you want to go to the earliest one, the one that really surprised me was being a kid on the jungle gym in a public park and falling on my head. Like I was doing that thing where you uh, hang on by your knees and you're swinging in the breeze and you think you're all that <laughs> and fell. I mean, not entirely on my head. I'm not saying that, you know, I ended up with a concussion, but man, it hurt. And I think those were in the days where the, the, the under the jungle gym was cement as opposed to that oh, nice stuff they have now. And I started to cry. And this other kid was like, yeah, yeah, yeah you're crying. And I'm like, no, I have allergies. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure, kid, whatever. And I was like, okay, that, that hurt on a number of levels. So if you want to bring back the first one, the first ouch on any number of levels, I guess it would be that one. No, and I can, I think we can all remember some sort of, uh, you know, time like that when we were younger where, you know, maybe another kid wasn't so nice or, you know, or we had that moment of, you know, just embarrassment because of something that happened. So I, I can definitely relate and I'm sure, uh, you know, a lot of the listeners um, can as well. But if you wanted to get into, you were saying there's a, sort of the other side of that. And if you want to get into uh, something there, uh, go ahead. Sure. So this kind of makes me laugh. This is definitely like a vulnerability you choose and the one you don't choose hybrid combo, special <laughs> sauce, lettuce, cheese. So I'm older now and I'm at a meditation retreat run by a very august uh, Tibetan Buddhist monk. And, you know, I'm living in New York at this point and I don't think of myself as a very, like what I would imagine if they're casting the movie of the uh, meditation student, person, my style is, you know, 
talky and kind of goofy and but I'm thinking I should impersonate a better kind of more traditional uh, meditation student so we have a point in the day where we get three minutes with one of the um assistant teachers, I guess you would call them, to really talk about our meditation challenges. And so <laughs> I come in and I'm like, I'm doing my uh, best impersonation of what I think a meditation student person's voice and pacing would be. Like I'm a fast talker. I just am. So I think my, my uh, question to this teacher was kind of like, well, I'm noticing in my practice, and I'm using all this language I don't normally use, but I imagine is good meditation teacher language, student language, right? So I'm noticing in my practice that I, certain feelings are coming up and the teacher goes, what time is it? And I go like five to three, he goes, ah, I'm late, gotta go. And he leaves. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I totally like wasted my time with this person. Like if I had been more myself, right? And I've been like, dude, I'm really trying to meditate, but I'm a neurotic mess. I'm like, what do you suggest? I might've gotten an answer, but because I was doing this like faux vulnerable thing, I lost my moment. I think that was probably the lesson he was sort of not so subtly giving me, but I also ended up feeling like I, I got a little um, tap on the head that I didn't expect. It made me feel kind of, I learned a lot, but also he kind of called me out, I think, for not being me. No, and it's, it's interesting, that story, especially considering your definition at the beginning of the episode, when you're saying that, you know, if you're not sort of being yourself, or you're not sort of accepting who you are, and, and trying to be somebody different, or trying to, you know, cover yourself up or put on a mask, that, you know, it can sort of make things even harder and make being vulnerable even harder. And, and I, I couldn't think of a better example of the, than the one you just gave of the fact that you were literally trying to like hide behind this false persona and it led to a moment of some pretty um, <laughs> extreme vulnerability, it sounds like, because you oh, yeah. just sort of realized that it wasn't going to help you at all. No, and in fact, and, and the, the nice man who did this for me, um, wasn't being cruel in any way, but I think he was just like, how am I going to cut through this like uh, endless stream of, of like the veil of words, right? Like the false curtain of words that this person has, has erected for them is hiding behind. Oh, I can tear that down. Here you go. Boom. Like, okay. <laughs> Learned a lot. Out. <laughs> and then it seems like you learned a lot in only a few minutes. <laughs> oh yeah. If you wanted to do like the quick learning thing, you know, it's like learn, learn to get out of your ego and get more real in 10 seconds or less, that would do it. Oops, gotta go. <laughs> oh, oh, oh yeah, and, he did, and he did. Thank you, wherever you are, person. <laughs> no, definitely. And, and like I said, I think those are two like, great examples of, you know, when, like you're saying, where you put yourself in a moment of vulnerability and where it just sort of happens to you. And I definitely appreciate the perspective on both of those, because I think that you're right, that it's, there's times where it's going to be that moment where just something happens, like falling on our heads. And, you know, we might get laughed at or teased or whatever the case might be. But then there's also those moments where it's, it's a matter of the things that we're doing or the acts that we're doing that that sort of put us in that moment of vulnerability. So I, I like how you were able to sort of show two of those uh, in, in two pretty um, great examples. Thank you. So is there any other, uh, you know, stories that you want to share in terms of, you know, vulnerability that you faced, you know, when you were younger um, or even now? Yeah, I was thinking of one. And it, it was interesting, Brian, because it was so big that I almost didn't see it. Um, and that was, I started out my career really wanting to be a journalist. I know you were talking about uh, doing print versions of people's stories of vulnerability and how labor intensive that is. And so I'm by uh, neurology, biology, all that kind of stuff, like a gregarious introvert. So I'm fascinated by people. I love people's stories, but I'm also super shy about, or was specifically, about asking people uh, interview questions. And so I uh, was actually offered a job as a journalist. So I, I, what I was trying to do was to hide, um, be an introvert, be super shy, and yet do something that I felt was really important, which was to get people's uh, stories. And I started out as a fashion journalist. And so I would find these workarounds to not have to meet people in person. And I would do these uh, 
fashion pieces, which are really about why uh, certain colors make us happy, clothes make us happy, all these kinds of things. And I actually got offered a job. It was a dream job. And I said no, because I was too scared. I was imagining a scenario in which I asked somebody the wrong question and they yelled at me. And that would mean that I was a very bad person and I had made them had invaded their space and all, all these things, that none of which were true, by the way. Um, and so after a time, I went to journalism school and that was a unique form of torture for me because instead of being able to say, hey, I'm really scared of interviewing, can somebody else help me out here? I just kind of tried to tough it out and kept running up against this obstacle. And what I ended up doing was pivoting and creating a career in which first I performed people's true stories and that for some reason I was able to interview people no problem. Because uh, I felt more comfortable with the format, and that's kind of defined my career ever since. Was that um, what I felt to be an overwhelming vulnerability as a traditional interviewer into forms of sharing stories and telling stories that felt more comfortable to me and let me perhaps be more of a listener, which is my happy place. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, again, uh, you, you have some pretty uh, <laughs> incredible stories in terms of just, you know, facing vulnerabilities and how you turn them around. What would you say helped you sort of overcome that, you know, uh, I guess in, in terms of like you were saying that you weren't, the, you, were, you were always scared of interviewing, um, you're scared of sort of, I guess, asking the wrong question, it seems like. What would you say helped you overcome that? I know you mentioned sort of performing um, in that in that story that you were telling, but was there anything else that sort of helped you you get through that time, like mentors, anything like that, or was it just you found out that there was a different route and you went down that route and it worked? It's a great question. I think it was a hybrid of time, um, self acceptance, and realizing maybe I don't know I might be inventing this on the spot, but that the voice that was really, that I was so scared of yelling at me was me, right? Because in my experience, and I later became um, a more traditional interviewing kind of print journalist. I did tons of series on Huffington Post back on the day and interviewing people all over the world. And I interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson and got feedback from his people that he loved chatting with me, which could be a lie. I don't care. I'm going to say it's true. Um, so at the right time, it all became easy, but I had to, for me personally, go through a process where I, um, like weeding a garden, weeded out the things that weren't actually true. Like, um, do I ask the wrong questions? I may, I may have asked some, you know, clunkers along the way. Is that an awful thing to do that is offensive to other people and a sign that I'm an awful person? I don't think so, but I did. So once I got past those uh, untrue fears and focused on the things that were helpful to other people and to me as an interviewer, it all got a lot easier. But it was definitely, I would say it was uh, quite a long process for me personally. And so was there a, a, like a new strength that, that presented itself after going through this? Like, was there something that you found uh, that you, you discovered in yourself after you sort of went through that process? Like you said, you took the time and you sort of came to the realization that a lot of what you were thinking was, again, just thoughts. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily true. It was just your own sort of negative self-talk, which I can tell you I've gone through and I can guarantee you a lot of people that are listening have probably gone through. But what new strength would you say presented itself after getting through that point in time? You know, it's that whole, I am enough, I can do this thing, which is a phrase that the I am enough phrase, I didn't hear until about two years ago. And I was like, why didn't somebody like put that, like skywrite that when I was growing up? That's a helpful <laughs> piece of information that's so true. Um, so yeah, I think it was that, which was not only am I not bad at this or a bad person for doing this thing that I haven't done yet, like all those negatives, non-real things, um, I'm actually pretty good at this and it's helpful. I think that's the thing is when I focused on the information that I'm getting is really helpful to other people. And because as a listener, I'm able to hear those things that other people maybe don't have the time to hear or um, the ability to, to then share in whatever way it's being shared, whether that's as an article or 
uh, a stage story, uh, this is kind of a strength and it's, it's helpful to people to use it as opposed to uh, not helpful, annoying, obnoxious, <laughs> any of those things that I was, I was afraid of. Oh, again, it's it, it, for me, what I think I, I like most so far uh, in this interview, and we've only been at it for about 15 or so minutes so far, but what I like so far is that you're literally showing what I said at the beginning is the point of this podcast is that, you know, these things that we go through, we can definitely learn from them and we can grow from them. And you're showing that uh, almost as an example in each of these stories that, that you're telling. So again, I appreciate that. Um, because I, I think that, you know, when people listen to this, what I want them to be able to do is relate as well and, and think to themselves, like, I've been through that or I've gone through that and maybe use what you did or or your experience to then sort of shift out of it or move through uh, move through it. So, um, so yeah, I just appreciate the fact that you seem to have been able to do that, even though it might not have been right away and it might have taken some time, you managed to do that each time to to then continue sort of moving forward. And to your point, until I did it, I could not move forward because if I was still saying, what if I asked the wrong be talking, right? We wouldn't have met. Like, you're, I love what you're doing and it's so nice to chat with you. And I think what you're doing is brave and genius and really positive in a time, especially when we all need the positivity of understanding exactly what you're saying, that not only are we not alone, like this is a human thing. Like we're all human um, and mistakes or fears are part of the crayon box that makes us up. And so you work with them. You can't work without them. No, for sure. And like you said there, we're all human at the end of the day. And I think that's uh, an important point to make just because at the end, we're all going to go through things like that. And I'm just starting to read, um, there's a book by Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a, and I won't say the word, but, ah. um, but it's it's been interesting because it's it's literally just talking about what you're saying is the fact that, you know, we're all human, we're all going to have mistakes, we're all going to have problems. And the sooner that we recognize that, you know, it's life doesn't just suck for us or, you know, whatever the case might be that we're telling ourselves, the sooner we can sort of begin to move forward and, and actually grow. So sorry to ties in with everything that you just said there. I'm going to check out that book. That sounds amazing. It, it's, it's pretty good. I've, I've, I think I'm about two thirds of the way through and I've only been reading it for about a week now just because I'm, I'm loving the story and, and what the, the points that the, uh, the author is making. So, uh, and it was suggested to me by a bunch of friends. So um, I, I think there's a reason for that as well. You know, and you made me think of something. I was thinking, you know, on a, happier example, like a potential example, not a real story, but I was imagining like someone who's a really good baker who makes the world's best chocolate cake, right? And make brings happiness to so many people, or at least to me, because I, I love chocolate cake. <laughs> and if they had made a mistake in the recipe early on and then said, well, I'm a bad baker, I'm a bad person, people are going to hate me, they're going to hate my cake, I'm not baking anything, think how like, you know, the world would be a less sweet place, right? We would be like, where was that cake? You wouldn't know it was missing, but boy, it's so much better when it's here. Yeah, that, that point makes me think of a quote that I've heard many times and I don't know who said it first or, or where it came from, but it's the quote of there's no such thing as failing, only learning. And and that's sort of what that made me think about is the fact that, yeah, we're going to fail, but if you're just sort of fail and, and give up, then you didn't learn anything. And, and so really what you should be doing is taking the attitude of the fact that, you know, there's no such thing as failing, only learning. So I, I definitely appreciate you bringing that up. I would have loved to have heard that when I was younger too. That's a great one. Well, it gives you so much space, right? Because, you know, you fall on your head on the playground and somebody's like, hey, you didn't fail. You're just learning that, A, um, you probably want to hold on more with your knees and um, falling on your head doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know? no. Okay, cool. I can, I can live with that, you know, or any of these examples. I think, yeah, super helpful. So, so one thing I wanted to to dive into a bit um, was the story that you did share uh, when you when you signed up through the podcastguest.com newsletter. Um, sort of at the age of sixteen, uh, somebody that came into your life. Um, if you wouldn't mind going into that, because I think that that's a, a a story of of true vulnerability in terms of what you faced with that relationship and everything. Sure, and you know, I was thinking about that, and I. And I'm going to ponder at the end about the, the vulnerability. I mean, it definitely happened to me. So when I was 16, um, went to a Saturday night party, as teenagers do, met this guy, and he became my, my first boyfriend. And we were together for four years. And at the end of that first night, when I was like, oh, I met this great guy. He's amazing. Uh, somebody said, well, you do know he's dying. 
teenagers really teenagers well <laughs> and it, it was actually true so he had a terminal illness uh, genetically um uh it was a, a genetic condition uh, that he had also lost a brother to and we went very quickly from that first date teenage love situation to growing up pretty darn fast and i spent every month going down to the hospital to be with him uh, in the city when he was getting blood transfusions uh, really saw close up what that disease was like was very much first love in, infatuated and also like my best friend the person uh, adored this person and he died when we were 20 and by the time we had gone through that situation and we had broken up and we're still best friends and we're separated by distance at that point, I was away uh, for university doing a year abroad. And the last time I spoke to him was on a payphone uh, to put a time frame on that uh, thousands, uh, thousands of miles away and having to literally say goodbye to the person with whom I was closest to uh, was just one of those uh, situations you cannot be prepared for. I don't think you can be prepared for it at any age, but specifically at that age. And then to return to quote unquote normal life and find that while I was grieving and heartbroken and at a loss for how to process all these emotions, there was no title for who I was, right? So I, w I was a what, like a 20-year-old widow, not widow, wasn't married, technically we'd broken up. So um, a, what do you call someone who's lost their best friend, you know, at that point? And what I found traveling through the world was that people didn't really want to know. Uh, I think that's true possibly when you're grieving at any age. People are kind of like, is it contagious? I don't want to get too close to you. What do I say? I don't really know. Uh, that happened three months ago. What we all went to the funeral. You were not here, um, so we've moved on. There was a lot of empty space and a ton of pain and a lack of words. I think to myself and from others about what that is and what that's supposed to look like. And that really motivated a lot of my career. And again, my discovery of the Decameron. We talked about earlier about this idea of uh, Boccaccio says at the beginning it's a human thing to comfort people who are suffering. And if you found comfort in a time of sorrow, then it's up to you to really pass that on. And that has been an enormous motivator of everything I've done since. You know, uh, so I can't, I, I personally can't relate with, with something um, of that sort of uh, volume at such a young age of, of meeting somebody falling like head over heels in love with them. And then, finding out very shortly after that you're, you're probably going to lose them at some point in the, in the near future. And then not only that, but when you lost that person, you weren't even there. Like you were, you know, abroad, you had to, like you said, sort of say that final goodbye through a phone call. And one thing that I've experienced at least, and I've heard from other people on, on previous podcasts is this, this whole thing of, you know, finding closure um, when it comes to the passing of somebody who's close to you. And, and, you know, it was hard for me with, with family that I've lost when, you know, I was able to see them and I was able to be there, but I can only imagine sort of the, uh, the added sort of, um, difficulty when you're sort of, when you're not there. And then, like you said, you came back and it's been three months and everything like that. And then aside from that too, I think that what you brought up the points in terms of, you know, that. Uh, we're sort of afraid of death or afraid of grief or whatever the case might be. I think that that's another key point too, because you're right. I think a lot of us are afraid to talk about it and I'm not sure what that, what the cause of that is. I, I had a guest on a few episodes back um, by the name of Hansa and he created this app called We Croak, uh, which is based <laughs> on a, a Buddhist practice of contemplating death five times a day. Uh, and he just did it because he, well, he lost somebody in his life and there's more to it, but he did it mainly because he feels like we're, we don't, we, we don't talk about it enough. We don't think about it uh, like death enough. And so we end up just living very uh, lives that aren't very present, aren't very, you know, in the now, in the moment, because of the fact that we just think, you know, maybe in our naively, we think we're going to live forever or whatever the case might be. And so he built this app to just sort of 
for people to download and just get random reminders through quotes five times a day that, yeah, you're going to die. It's going to happen. And so, uh, you know, I kind of digressed a bit, but it just, to me, like I said, I think that the point that you brought up about the fact that it's hard for people to talk about or they think it's contagious or whatever the case is, is, is completely true. And that would have added again, another level of difficulty for you because now you're, you know, you've lost this person, you had to come home, and not have anybody who really wanted to talk about it. And then you never really get to, as much as maybe through that phone, you get to say that goodbye, you didn't get to do it in person. So I, I don't know if any of that relates or makes sense to what you're, uh, based on what you're saying, but that's sort of what I pulled from it. Oh, absolutely. I think you got the the experience of it a hundred percent. And it it is interesting because in the intervening years, the chances or the opportunities I've had to actually talk about that and have somebody reflect back, like I've heard you, I would say are slim to none. And that was one of the things that I always have wanted to fix with the stories that I share in every format for other people to kind of say, you're not alone. Uh, I hear you, even if we're not speaking one-on-one, you, there, there are other people who have gone through this and you're not alone. Because I think part of the, the saddest part of that was feeling so alone. And again, sort of having a subtle message and not so subtle sometimes of you shouldn't be feeling this way, which I think one of the great things about this podcast and also the age in which we live, I think the digital age, it's a lot easier to reach out and even find strangers who will then become friends in communities organized around the idea that you're not alone when, when this is happening whatever this is, and there are so many this is, that in the analog age, it did really seem like you were the only person going through this and you were very much alone. And that just adds grief to grief. I and mean, no real reason to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely don't want to sort of compound grief. <laughs> definitely without no, a doubt. It, yeah, exactly. Compound, it's such a great name for something. <laughs> we you know, like compound age, you know, compound grief, you can like put it on and get rid of needless layers of suffering it would be awesome. No, for sure. Um, so, you know, if you can look back on sort of all of those different moments in your life, you know, from even the, the, you know, the example at the beginning there of, you know, falling on your head and having, you know, being teased and feeling embarrassed to, you know, the introversion and the sort of, you know, difficulties that that brought on when it came to going into journalism and interviewing and then this loss of somebody like, if you were to look back, you know, on some of the tolls that that took on you, like emotionally, whatever, however it might have affected you, you know, how would you say all of that did affect you? And I know that there's definitely some positivity that came uh, later on in terms of it leading to where you're at now, but in terms of anything else that sort of came up or, or that you felt, would you mind sort of speaking at the, on that? Yeah, I would find that there were times that I just got um, ambushed, I think would be a good word by grief that I hadn't been able to express. So I remember being at a party several years after my friend died and someone who I think I might have been a roommate at the time, um, who wasn't really known for her uh, empathy. I don't think that was like her leading skill. Said like, oh, hey, surprise. Like, here's your friend's roommate. I thought you'd like want to say hi. Like his college roommate, surprise, you know. And I started crying hysterically. I was like, oh my God, I, you know, ow, this is all brought all this back. And she was like, well, I don't think you're going to do that. Like, shame on top of grief that's also not a good combo like the compound grief not good like shamey grief or griefy shame or shaming on grief is also not good so there were there were definitely moments like that where i would think that uh, either i'd moved past it or it wasn't such a a raw spot in my life and then boom be right there uh with no prep that would be the vulnerability that you don't plan for right that would be the one where you think your Achilles going around with your armor on and somebody finds your Achilles heel and goes, Hey, does this hurt? How about this? <laughs> How, does this hurt a lot? So there were definitely moments of that. Yeah, no, again, it's, I think that what you're bringing up in terms of like shame and everything like that, I think that's uh, another key point because, uh, and, and even what you said about empathy too, like it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, as much as, uh, like you're saying, it's easier to connect. It's easier to sort of uh, learn whatever it might be these days with the with the adding of the internet and you know just even in terms of 
you know, I, I look at like something like meditation nowadays and the fact that it's sort of becoming now, I don't want to say trendy, but in a way it is. <laughs> and, and what I think is interesting is that I find empathy is still something that more of us need to work on. Um, and more of us need to sort of bring more, bring more of it into our lives because I've seen the difference it's made in my life uh, in terms of oh, just over the last few years uh, and, and some changes that I've made. But uh, yeah, it just, it amazes me how um, there's still a, a lack of it in the world. And, and in your example there, how, it, you know, it was just sort of this person who, you know, obviously didn't mean any harm, but then instead of, you know, maybe comforting you or or trying to, uh, better the situation in some way, you know, instead went the other way and just made it worse. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, well, interestingly, Brian, let's, let's try a theory here. I think empathy is vulnerability, right? It, it, yeah, I guess in some ways it could be for sure. So I think what happened it, potentially in that situation where someone who empathy was not her strong suit, um, who didn't like being vulnerable at all had a choice at that moment could be like vulnerable and empathetic and say, I am so sorry. I didn't, I didn't know. Wow. Ouch. Now I'm feeling kind of your pain about losing your friend. Uh, kind of just said no <laughs> to purloin a phrase from an ex or gone by used for something else. Um, and said, hell no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to feel, I'm going to uh, ante up on my brittle shell and say, well, that's on you. I didn't do anything bad. That this isn't painful. No, no, no. And I think when you find your true friends, or at least I have found when I find my true tribe, they are by nature very empathetic people and give space for uncomfortable moments. And I, I don't think that person wanted an uncomfortable moment there at all. No, and and that's a good spin on it. Like I I wouldn't have def I definitely wouldn't have come to that conclusion on my own. And and I like the way that you sort of tied in the the fact that her empathy might be because she wasn't willing to be vulnerable. Because again, I never would have put those two together. But I think it it does make a lot of sense in terms of the fact that because maybe she didn't want to feel, she didn't want to suffer, she just sort of shut it down, hid behind, you know, whatever it was, and and went the opposite route, which just really made you feel worse at the end of the day. So. Uh, interesting point to bring up, definitely. And she didn't have to feel at all, right? So I got I got a double dose of feeling feelings, uh, and she, you know, did the no, which you know, let's talk about um, on the on the outer level, seemed to not be feeling at all. Who knows what was going on inside and what you know, all those feelings that get tamped down and they all come back up at some point and do something. Everything comes mm -hmm. out in some way. Um, exactly. <laughs> I, I know that all too well myself as well just in terms of suppressing a lot of things over the years and and then when they finally I, I did a I think like a four-page journal entry yesterday and it was talking about doing sort of the inner work and the self-work and uh, things that came up for me and, and that I think are for all of us really are things that we all can maybe sort of open up to is the fact that it's a lot of work and, and it's going to be ups and downs and it's going to be all over the place. And then the fact of the matter is, is that when you do finally break through a bit, the, the rush of, uh, I would say like emotions and, and just the way you feel about a lot of things is going to kind of explode because you haven't done anything about it for so long and you've suppressed it for so long. So again, I don't know if that relates, but I just sort of, yeah. it came to mind when I, when, when you brought up that point about sort of, we don't know what other people are going through and, and what they're maybe suppressing. Yeah, I was taking a, a yoga class at a CrossFit gym here in town run by uh, a former Marine, as we all do. And um, <laughs> such a great guy, he's an amazing guy. And one of the things he would always say at the beginning of class is everybody has something. And I, I was like, that? Again, a phrase that I think is pretty popular now. I hadn't heard it before. And I was like, that is a really excellent perspective to go through life with. I don't always succeed. I'd say maybe I'm at 50, 60% sometimes because there are just people that either I choose to let annoy me or I just decide are annoying uh, at the get-go. And uh, if you start from that position, there's always confirmation. Oh, they truly are. But if you come from the pers perspective of everybody has something, you can't see it always. Um, and that really leads to a lot of empathy and uh, kindness, I think, which we never have enough of. It's a process, I think. 
Oh, 100% it's a process and something that I think we can all work on, even even if we, you know, might have what we think is a lot of empathy or, or a lot of kindness, I still think there's room for improvement. And so I agree with what you're saying there. One thing I want to um, just because I'm curious about it and uh, and it's something that I've started in terms of meditation, I've, I've started doing meditation pretty much daily for the last couple of months. Um, and I was doing it for a few months uh, back at the, I think it was towards the end of 2019 there. And, you know, I've noticed some shifts in myself and and things like that. But I also noticed uh, sort of the vulnerability, I guess, um, of meditation and, and sort of what it can present. And you definitely mentioned sort of going into down the retreat path and stuff like that in the past. And so I just want to get an idea for how, you know, meditation has helped you, because I think it's a subject that maybe we all need to sort of maybe not um maybe not try right now it may not be the right word but at least sort of discover a little more about or learn a little more about so if you wouldn't mind just going into some of your experience with that and how it's maybe helped you and things that you faced uh, through it um that would be awesome i love that yeah so at that point in my life i had a zafu and i was sitting on my cushion in the morning in new york city in brooklyn in my uh, busy life before going out into the world. And I found that to be definitely a challenge every day to carve out even that little bit of time. And then of course you sit with your mind and ooh, the mind, wow, what a busy place. Even busier than Brooklyn at the time. Uh, That seemed to be a great way to start my day. I would say now I'm a runner, uh, not a long distance runner, like a two and a half mile runner, which seems to be my happy distance. And I live in Colorado now where I have the extreme benefit of a lake with a running path only a couple blocks away. And it astounds me every day. And I find that there's even these little incremental, like walking out in the day, and this is hilarious. So come mock me world. It's fine. I'm prepared for this. I'm willingly vulnerable on this one, but I'll go out into my driveway and do a couple tree poses when I go to pick up the newspaper. And I'm like, I don't know that anyone sees or doesn't see. And I think if they see our our street is really interesting here. So we live in a purple state and our street literally politically, culturally, I think divides down the middle of this little suburban street. So our side is kind of blue stadium. The other side I imagine is more red stadium. They would be the people with the view with the view of me doing this uh, little tree pose meditation and looking at a tree first thing in the morning. Uh, I think it's a great way to start the day. I think running uh, is a great way to for me to be out in the world and moving and meditating. Even though I'm listening to music, I'm looking at the mountains, I'm looking at the birds, I'm looking at the sunlight on the water, I'm looking at the sunflowers, and I am in awe. I think I start every day, starting every day with awe is my new practice. It's not as formalized, maybe as uh, a designated uh, quiet meditation time, but it's vital and I, I, I love it. And I Highly recommend it. And if you want to make your neighbors laugh, do a tree pose in the driveway before you get home. <laughs> Good thing. Well, and, and see, and that, I'm glad I asked the question because I think that the perspective you brought to it is great too, is that sure, you know, you can have the the practice of sitting on a cushion and, and just sort of focusing on the breath and being quiet and everything. But then there's other ways that you can practice as well. And this is something that I've sort of come to the conclusion of as well through listening to other podcasts and books that I've read and so on, where, you know, just learning that, you know, this, I guess, the way that meditation has been looked at for so long, which is literally just like, pay attention to your breath. There's now more ways to look at it. And there's definitely, it's not, uh, you know, one thing that I learned recently that really helped me out was the fact that, you know, a lot of people think meditation is is paying attention to your breath and not thinking at all, um, which it was next to impossible. So it's not necessarily, it's not about nothing. It's about not paying too much attention or giving too much attention to those thoughts as you're meditating. And that, that opened me up a lot because I, when I was first starting, you know, I'd have a million and one thoughts run through my head and then I'd journal afterwards and I'd be like, oh, this meditation session wasn't great because I was thinking too much. And then when I started to realize that, that, it's not the point to, like I said, stop thinking. It, it changed the experience for me. And so I think that, like you said, it's important as well to realize that it doesn't necessarily have to be so structured. As long as you find that time to be present or be in awe, like you said, it can be a practice as well. Yeah. And I love what you just said, Brian, about it's not about not thinking, it's about not being attached to the thoughts, which then I think the idea can be when you're off the mat and something comes up, 
you know, oh, I, I, like it's go, going, going back to the idea of being annoyed by something. Like, oh, that was, oh, well, yeah, I guess that could have been annoying, but actually it's okay. Or let's not get too attached with that. Or yeah, I was annoyed there for a minute, um, perhaps unfairly, and I can move on. I think it's that ability about being able to move on when you realize that the situation invites moving on. Like some things maybe we want to stay with and just justly so, but there are other moments where it's like, oh, there was that. Ah, okay. And now there's this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know. I agree. And I've seen it happen in my own life as well in terms of frustration or being annoyed or whatever it might be. It's, it's much easier to sort of move on from it now than in the past where it might've ruined my whole day or days or week or whatever. I find it's much easier now to just sort of be like, is this going to help me? Is this really going to like further anything or is, or is this just something I need to like sort of, you know, let go of and, and move on. And, and I find the latter is what's the better choice most of the time is to sort of let go and move on, understand, you know, it happened, but not sort of get caught up in it. So uh, I definitely agree with what you had to say. So yeah, I'm sorry, continue. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, you just made me think of the whole overthinking thing, which is like my new favorite term. And I'm such an overthinking overthinker that the meditation practice lets you say, okay, yeah, doing a little overthinking there. I make to make the choice. It's almost, again, like how the running builds muscles, especially your form of meditation, which I love, is then, and then journaling and getting it out of your system a little bit too, is building the muscle that then lets you maybe not react so automatically or notice that you're reacting all of that stuff awareness is great it's a muscle no for sure so i want to get into i guess now like everything that you have gone through uh, you know again when you sort of sent over your your brief bio there you had mentioned how a lot of what's happened in your past has led to where you're at now so if you could give us an idea of sort of how that worked like how did everything that you went through help you get to where you're at now or or sort of i guess lead you down the path that you're on with your career and everything that you're doing. Sure. Um, Well, everything definitely led me down the path in the sense that having gone through adversity, personal and professional, I would say, and feeling alone or feeling that no one got what I was going through or would acknowledge it. I mean, they did get it, but they didn't acknowledge it. Led me to a career where I really focus on offering what I didn't get that I think would have been helpful to others. I hope I do anyway. So through the journalism I was doing, through the stage stories where I would interview people about their true love stories, let's say, and then perform them on stage in the framework of Boccaccio's Decameron to say, here are some stories that can help us get through troubling times because I felt that that was something that could be really comforting to people. Um, uh, doing what I'm doing now with art prints and t-shirts that sing happy songs with colors that make people feel good. Going back to that idea that I started as a fashion journalist, that there are things that we can see and wear and experience that really do make us feel good. And using that kind of nerdy researching self to find the science of these things sometimes, which delights me. And I think I think that the things that delight us can delight others of us so that once I find something that seems to work for me or folks I know, making them more readily available with that idea of, hey, let's, let's share this happiness thing. It's a good thing to share. No, and I think that the one thing that I pull from that that I think is uh, an important thing for a lot of us to realize is that, you know, I think a lot of us are are right now, especially again with social media and with a lot of the things that we see out there, we think that like happiness is this thing that we can like build and work on and and eventually we achieve happiness and then we're just always happy and so on and so forth, which I don't think is is at all the truth. Um, but what I do think the truth is, is something that you brought up there is the fact that when you're in service of others, and that sounds like what your whole sort of work fall is basically based on is being in service of others. And when you do that, that's where you actually find happiness when it's when it's something that you're doing for somebody else. That's where you're going to find those moments of, of real true happiness and can then build to a point where you know, you are happy all the time, but it's not because of focusing on yourself and being selfish. It's more so because of, you know, the, the fact that you're helping others. And, and I think that even goes back to the point that we brought up earlier about empathy. Exactly. And also to the point of your podcast and projects like this, where 
you could have sat home and said, well, I had this revelation, like being vulnerable is a, a, a good way to go through the world and connect with others. And you could have sat home with that idea and not shared it, right? And it would have made a lot less people happy. Like what you're doing is making people connect and reflect and find commonality in the stories of other people and getting it out there. I think it's that. It's right. It's the getting it out there. Like you, you have the aha and I guess you could stay home with the aha. I don't really know <laughs> what that would do. You could be an aha hoarder and just be like, my happiness is mine, darn it. And I'm not sharing it with anybody and I'm not telling anybody else who I got here. And well, I feel really, probably not so happy at that point. But so no. yeah, it, it's part and parcel of the happiness thing, the sharing of it. No, I, I, again, I agree. I think that, you know, sharing our stories or whatever it might be um, is definitely a way to sort of find that relatability with each other and, and putting it out there. I, I sat on this idea for months. I'm not going to say that I just woke up one day and was like, yeah, let's do this. This was, I think, probably at least close to a year before I, I started doing the podcast. And then, like I said, there, there was an article series that I tried starting and other ways of doing it. But um, you know, it, it, it's, it was something that I definitely sat with for a while until I realized, like you're saying that putting it out there and sharing it might actually be able to help people more. And, and at the end of the day, I think that in terms of my why and what I'm trying to do in this world is just have impact. Like I, I have said on multiple episodes that my goal with this podcast is to impact one listener per episode. And that's it. Like I'm not trying to get a million downloads or whatever. Sure. I'd like that. But for me, it's, it's really just having that individual impact each episode that means the world to me and that keeps me going down this path because it just to me, like you said, you know, when you were, when you were speaking there, it's the sharing of these stories that's really going to help more of us grow, you know, and even to, to that point, you know, if you're keeping to yourself or you're staying, you know, in your comfort zone is one way I like to put it. There's also a very small amount of growth. And I think that getting uncomfortable and getting vulnerable and being outside your comfort zone, you find a ton of growth and that's not only going to, help others, but also help you probably be a happier person as well. Yeah. And, and two thoughts about this. So this is incredibly funny slash interesting slash aha. Before we made the call, I said, well, let me just communicate with that one person out there um, that's interested in hearing this. So we're aligned on that. Isn't that kind of neat? <laughs> no, definitely. And that's kind of crazy. I was like, wow, he just said that. That's okay. Woo. Okay. That's wow. All right. That's Yeah. <laughs> And I think that might have obliterated the other thing that I was thinking. Um, so I'll throw something out that's totally unrelated, but I thought was kind of neat, which goes back to the Greek mythology thing. And I didn't want to look up the actual definition of vulnerability because I felt like that was cheating, but I was in my Greek mythology head. And I was thinking, you know, there's the Greek god of Vulcan, who is the forger. He's the iron worker, which is all about strength, right? And kind of like a Marvel superheroes kind of way. And I love, and I know that you highlight the ability side of vulnerability in the logo of your podcast podcast and focusing that is great too and then I was like and then there's the the vol part which I'm not sure where that uh what that translates to exactly but it seems to be the strength and then maybe the nerve is where <laughs> we get sensitive I don't really know but I just thought I would throw Vulcan into the mix and that that idea of strength and softness right because when you work with metals they get melted and they're they're liquid for a while and then they strengthen back up again I definitely, I, I don't mind you digressing because I definitely like these, <laughs> these ways that you're sort of tying this, uh, this word and, and this subject into different things. And they're not things that I ever would have thought about. I didn't do a ton of research into this whole subject before I started. I just had a story and I knew a handful of people that had a story. And now, you know, it's, uh, it's just sort of taking off on its own and, and I'm enjoying it. But I, I, I like how you're sort of finding um, these relatabilities. And, and I agree with what you said there in terms of the strength part, because one actual guest that I had very early on, I think she was like episode six, she came on and right away was like, I don't like the word vulnerability. And I was like, okay, well, how is this interview going to go? And then, you know, she is a psychologist by trade and went into how, you know, she looks at it, our vulnerabilities as being a strength and how vulnerability is more about doing the inner work and working on yourself than it is about sort of putting it out there into the world. And, and, you know, again, I appreciate uh, her definition and, and I've brought it up on previous episodes as well as how, you know, it's this whole subject of vulnerability as trendy as it is nowadays. It's not about just putting yourself out there and, and just like sort of, you know, putting everything on uh, out to the world. It's more about doing the inner work first and then sharing your story after that. So um, I definitely agree in terms of it just being a strength as well. 
Yeah. I was thinking of a spaghetti noodle. Like it's not a spaghetti noodle. It's not like, you know, all just kind of not holding itself up. And then, all right, on the other extreme, then there's the oversharing thing, which like, uh, <laughs> like just kind of like, blah, doesn't make it valuable. You know, it's not like, I felt this, therefore, maybe, you know, it's only where it intersects. I think the Venn diagram, the sweet spot, is where things are helpful to other people. And then we create community, which is great. No, I agree again. Uh, so if you were to look at sort of where you're at right now, would you say that you've found success and fulfillment in your life? Or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Ooh, interesting. I think it's a highway, right? There's stops along the way. Um, I don't, I don't think we're at the end point. I hope I'm not at the end point, but, and I'm pretty darn happy and I've worked, um, I don't want to say hard. I mean, I like working. Uh, it's been it's a, it's been a culmination of a process. This point, and then there's the next point, right? So, uh, right now, I get up every day, and there's sunshine out the window, and there's a mountain, and I have a wonderful family unit, and we make delicious food, and I'm creating art that is really meaningful to myself and to other folks, and makes people smile, and. So today is a good day. And if tomorrow is too, that's awesome. And when the challenges come up, like we said, the meditation practice or the knowing that things shift and change and we have tools in the toolbox, that helps you deal with them. And that's cool too. No, for sure. And, and, I, and I like when people sort of, when I bring up that question and, and, and you know, people are able to define you, not only just the, the idea of success and fulfillment in their own way, but even just separate the two. And so it sounds to me that, you know, like you said, the, the journey of being successful is something that will continue and will be there day to day. But in terms of fulfillment, it sounds like you're, you're fairly filled right now in terms of that description of waking up every day to, you know, sunshine and mountains and being able to do something that you love. Yeah. And it rains here too, which is, you know, that's, <laughs> that's kind of great. We're trying to grow some lavender plants out back that our neighbor gave us. So they could use some water. So there's all, there's good things potentially in everything. I'm not saying everything is awesome. Everything is not awesome, but when the not awesome stuff happens, being able to work with it and through it and see it as part of a larger whole and this too may pass or we can help this pass. That's pretty great. Yeah. I've heard that saying a few times recently, this too shall pass, especially when it comes to the whole situation that the world's going through right now. And, and I think that's a, an, another important point to, for us all to sort of recognize is that everything's going to pass at some point. So some may be longer than others, but everything will pass eventually. So um, definitely a, another important point to bring up. So that gets me down to sort of the, I, well, it is the last question that I have, um, which is, you know, if you were to look back on your journey, to look back on your life and you were to be able to give our listeners three lessons, three really important lessons that have helped you sort of get through what you've gone through and progress to where you're at now, uh, what would you say those three lessons would be? Okay, well, I say this as someone who was once tossed into the air by a clown during a workshop and like did a flip. Like if you picture Woodstock, you know, the little bird in the, in the <laughs> Nets cartoon. So I say this from a place of having experienced it, but I was thinking, you know, respond to your struggles as if life were an improv class. And I don't know if you've ever taken an improv class, but, no. but okay. it's actually can be kind of fun and weird. But the number one rule is to say yes and as opposed to no but. So in, in an improv class, somebody comes up and says, there's an orange lizard on your head. You don't say no, there's not. You have to, you, kind of the rule to move forward is to say, yes, and it keeps the rain off my head. So the point about struggles is when your improv partner is kind of life, it's going to offer you some nice things and some ones that are really hard to work with. And it's easy when things are nice. So um, yes, and works when some like life says, hey, would you like to fall in love with someone really awesome? And you go, yes, and I'd like to last it to last forever. So easy, right? But when things are tough, here's a personal tragedy. Can you survive it? If the approach is, yes, I'm really going to feel the pain of this and move forward as a compassionate person, that's the way forward to say like, no, I stop here or no, this is bigger than me and I'll never get through it. Doesn't offer you many options. The yes and is where the options are. So that would be piece of advice one. And also, if you're in a class with a professional clown, do not knock the hat off his head. It turns out that's like a really aggro move and you'll get tossed in the air and flip around like wood stuff. And I say that as someone who knows, really, 
it's a story for maybe for another podcast. Like I was flipped by a clown. Scary. <laughs> um, the other thing is realize you're not alone with the struggle. Uh, again, I think that this is something that the digital age has really helped us that you can Google or you can reach out or you can find a community on places, even like Instagram. I find that there are lovely people there that are organized in, um, categories where people have gone through stuff and they're insanely kind, at least most of the people that I've uh, come around, but also I'm a big fan of positive reality, not reality competition shows like the voice, big fan of the voice. And I hear time and time again that contestants kind of say, uh, it's not how you got knocked down, but it's how you get it up, which it sounds, I know it's a cliche, but it's really true. So you're going to get knocked down. I'm going to get knocked down. And it's how we get up. That's really powerful and potentially leads you to places you never would have uh, expected to go that are pretty friggin' awesome. So kind of the, the competition show model. And, um, Oh, be the director of your life. Like imagine if your life's a movie that you're the director and that you're hiring and firing struggles as kind of like day actors <laughs> that come in with a short-term contract. So when that stuff shows up, you go like, hmm, that's interesting. You're here. Don't really, I don't think I want to keep you around tomorrow. So I'm going to fire you and we're going to replace you with something else. And what that is, you may not know, but at least, you know, you're in charge. I think when struggles show up, they try to act like they're the, the big star in the, on the scene and they don't have to be, um, they can be, but let's, you know, write them out of the script or direct them off the stage. Three, three definitely solid uh, lessons there. The second one, I think, really sort of ties back to this entire episode, um, which is the fact that, like you said, you're not alone. And I think that's something that if more of us recognize, it'll bring sort of a more, I guess, human feel to everything that we go through, because we'll realize that, you know, it's not just us. It's not just you know, uh, our situation that sucks. There's a lot of people that have a similar situation or worse. And, and it's not about comparing. It's just about recognizing that you're not alone. And, and that'll open up a lot for, I think, a lot of people. It's definitely worked for me. And, and from the sounds of it, it's, it's helped you as well. Absolutely. And the myth, I think, is tragedy isolates us or makes us... Um, on our own. And that's the myth also because the emotions are really overpowering, right? I mean, they're big and scary and extremely personal. I think that's the point is that it is personal. It's extremely personal. And yes, and yes, it's extremely personal. And <laughs> you will be able to find comfort from other people or other experiences or great literature or walking outside and you are not alone. It's yeah. the, that, that duality kind of challenging to figure out sometimes, but it's true. No, I definitely agree. So I, I, the sort of at the end of the episode here, I like to give every guest an, an opportunity to just promote themselves, let people know what they're up to, whatever their business might be, if they have programs, that they, whatever it is that they want to promote. So the floor, it is, the floor is yours. Go ahead. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Brian. So I am the designer and the songwriter of a new line of nifty gifts that sing to all your senses. They're called smile songs. And it really is the culmination of everything that I've learned till now about why certain colors and sounds and messages make us feel less alone and make us feel really happy. So the website is smilesongs.com and you'll see art prints and t-shirts and pieces of jewelry. And they all say the kinds of things that people love and need to hear. Like you're beautiful with a Y-O-U or uh, may your bold dreams bloom. Or for those of us in the introvert community, introvert AF. And then uh, <laughs> you scan a QR code or use the web link on them. And they, I will literally sing you a song that is custom crafted to deliver that message to your heart and your soul and your ears and your funny bone for all those good reasons. And they're really fun and cute because there's nothing wrong with being fun and cute in all this. So um, yeah, lots of stuff there for introverts, but also kind hearted folks. And I'm on Insta, which is where Brian and I first connected and it's smile underscore songs. If you'd like to come say hi and check out what I'm doing. 
Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to put that in the show notes. Um, uh, I, I, listen, this has been um, an interesting one uh, and in the, the best way possible because I, I like the fact that you are, are were able to go into a few different areas and a few different subjects. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, you know, I just, I, I continue to enjoy doing this because of the fact that, like we said, you know, throughout this episode, everyone has a story to share. And I appreciate you coming and taking the time to share your story. I appreciate you reaching out even through Instagram there. And I've seen you engaging with my posts. And um, yeah, I just, I, I appreciate all that. And like I said, the, the fact that you came on today. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story. And, and I look forward to uh, staying connected. Absolutely, Brian. And thank you for doing what you're doing because you're the conduit, right? That's getting all these uh, positive stories out and letting people connect. Like what a lovely way to have spent uh, some time this morning chatting with you. I really appreciate it. No, same. All right. Well, take care and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Happy day in Canada. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.